Hey, what's going on, you guys? I'm Jay, and welcome to the Regeneration Podcast. I'm here, as always, with my friend Isaac. Yep, yep. And today, Isaac and I are chatting with a guy named Mike Winger. Many of you may know uh, some of Mike's work. He, he's got tons of YouTube videos. He's been doing it for six, seven years now, where he, um, he hits a bunch of really important, confusing, complex topics. And today, we are talking to him about what is on the surface one of the most popular church music movements that we've seen in a long time. Likely, if you go to an evangelical church of some sort, you sing a bunch of songs from Bethel music. And um, we actually dig in deeper beneath the surface to uh, what what is happening in not just Bethel Church, but the movement that they are a part of, uh, what some people call the New Apostolic Reformation, uh, what they themselves would call the Apostolic Network. And I know those words sound fancy and confusing, but we get into all of that. And we delve in, in this conversation, we delve into uh, the complexities, confusion, um, some of the theology that they are not only teaching, but um, really spreading in some subversive ways and ways that we can think theologically and biblically and thoughtfully about some of those things. So uh, Mike is, um, he's just got this great warmth and temperament, but uh, also while not compromising uh, what is true and what is good. About the story of God. So uh, this is a really fascinating conversation. We think it's going to be really practically helpful. Uh, we hope you enjoy it. So here is our conversation with Mike Winger. Mr. Bible Thinker Mike Winger, glad to have you on the show today. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. First off, uh, I found you on YouTube. Uh, somehow the algorithms had a vi- video pop up of you. Um, and it might, I forget the first topic exactly, but I started watching and I was immediately attracted to just your tone and your presentation. But how in the world did you get into making YouTube videos? So our, if, our, if you haven't heard of him for our audience, Mike's videos, some of them have like over a half million views. So just briefly, how did that happen? Well, I would say it happened slowly over years. And um, it was a lot of producing content and just thinking, I remember doing this whole series, tons of research into the topic of homosexuality, which I thought was really important to handle very honestly and very carefully and biblically. And I thought to myself, if I get a thousand views on on the videos in this series, I'll be so happy. And that's where the channel was at at the time. It, and it, it's just very slowly over time, things sort of accruing. People, you know, later subscribers, years later, go back and start binge watching old content. Um, so yeah, the reason why I started though was just because of the need. Uh, it just seemed like there was such a vacuum of good, especially a few years ago. Now there's more and more good Christian content on YouTube and online available. But at the time, it just felt like there was this massive vacuum. And um, and I really honestly felt like the Lord was calling me to, to step in and do what I could, although I didn't know what that would look like. I just started experimenting. And that's kind of what you, I just started making videos, you know, like, let me just meet needs and try to make stuff I think is valuable and helpful to people and see what God does with it. Do you remember when your first video was like, how, how many years ago was that? Um, it was like 2012 when I put up a, my first video. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I didn't really start making regular content um, or know exactly what my bearings were, or what kind of stuff I would produce. It was it was in 2015. I think it was 2015 that I started to produce weekly teaching content. And that was like the meat 
of my YouTube channel really starting to happen then. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, I just have to say this because it's so awesome. Typically, Isaac and I are talking to academics, authors, pastors. Um, and, you know, I, I've watched a bunch of your videos as well. People listening to the podcast right now can't see this, yeah. but you know you're talking to like high end theological YouTuber, dude. Exactly. When the, when the Skype conversation, first of all, this is the highest audio and video quality conversation we've ever had, <laughs> and it's tripping me out because the video that exactly. we're watching, Mike, is like go watch his videos on YouTube. That's what we're looking at. It's like the same room. <laughs> so I have to ask this. This has nothing to do with theology. Is that your yeah. office at home? Because I've seen that setting so many times in your videos. Like, where is that? And you have this like sweet lighting setup and all the books <laughs> on the back. Where is that? What what is yeah. that? <laughs> well, this is just my home office. Um, we have we have bookshelves in almost every room in our house, to be honest. Yeah. So this happens to be one behind me, and I realized that on 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 online stuff. If you guys are doing video online, it, your stuff doesn't necessarily have to be great. It just needs to be a little bit better than yep. the other people doing the content. Yeah. And so I thought, what can I do? Like, how can I improve it with lighting? I put like like $20 worth of LED lights in my bookcase <laughs> with a drill and I just glued it in there. And that's, and, you know, former youth pastor. Stuff. That, yeah. That's a guy who yeah. knows that youth pastor budget. I, I got 50 bucks, but <laughs> oh, I got to yeah. make this event legit, man. It's Go to the Dollar Tree budget. and we're going to get some candy. It uh, looks great. So, you know, slowly over over time, I've been able to get like a better microphone um, or more lighting and things like that. I'm still using like a $90 webcam, but when you use it the right way, it works better. And so that's what I try to do is make it just a little bit better, um, you know, because it does cause your content to stand out, which makes yep. your voice louder, which makes your impact bigger. And that's the goal. Yeah. The big reason why we wanted to, to chat with you today is you did a video uh, that, that I really appreciated, but it's sort of talked about what people call the NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation, uh, the Apostolic Network, and there's a bunch of churches that are kind of in this stream of thought. And for most of our listeners, they probably don't know those terms or know what we're talking about, but they're possibly being influenced by churches that are in these streams. And so kind of if you could lay the landscape out for us, like paint a picture, like what am I talking about when I use those those terms? Or I say, I name a church like Bethel is a part of this stream. Like what does that look like? Uh, well, it, unfortunately, it's rather complicated. Um, so let me try to give you at least my understanding mm -hmm. of something. And I think we should allow it to be a little complicated lest we shoot ourselves in the feet with the labels that we use. So um, the popular label is NAR which stands, like you said, for New Apostolic Reformation. And that was uh, a label that was invented by a guy named C. Peter Wagner. And he, this was years ago. Um, and he basically was noticing that there's this sort of movement going on in certain churches that's focused on the gifts and that has um, a strong emphasis on modern-day apostles in the church. And he called it New Apostolic Reformation. And he thought of this as a good thing. Well, critics of the movement continued to use this label to identify something they thought was problematic or concerning and less than biblical. And so later on, groups who were similar to what Peter Wagner was talking about, they don't like the label and they don't use it. Mm -hmm. Yet the critics of the movements still use the label. Mm. And so it ends up being like we're talking past each other a little bit. And so I, I tend to not use NAR too often, that, that label, only because the people in the churches that you're talking about would very likely n never have heard 
<laughs> of the label in AR. And they'd be like, I'm not part of that. What is that? I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so that's where you get the other phrase apostolic network. And that's related to Bethel in particular. That's a phrase they use. They, they talk about how they have an apostolic network and how they are networking with other churches in an apostolic sense. So you still get the idea. This is a movement that's based upon the idea of modern day apostles. Um, but the label NAR, while it can be helpful for critics of the movement to have like a, an easy label, oh, they're NAR. Now I know who they are and what they're about. Um, it, it's not always helpful in the long run when you want to reach people in those movements mm-hmm. because it's, it sounds to them like you don't know, you don't know who they are. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if you use the, you know, a label that they don't identify with. So is, is, is the NAR um, referring to like a real legit thing? Yes. But I think the thing is much bigger than the label. And so maybe we need a different label. Um, so I, I just say it's part of the modern day signs and wonders movement. Uh, yeah. that, that's how I tend to put it. Yeah. That's helpful. What, what are some of your concerns? And it's difficult because not everyone fits into precise categories. So it may be a concern yeah. for this church may not even be occurring at another church who still kind of is in those waters. But broadly speaking, what do you see are some as serious concerns or problems arising from this? Um, I think that there's a, a few. One of the serious concerns is that this really is a re-engineering of what it means to follow Jesus and what expectations a person will have when they follow Jesus and what it means to be walking spiritually with God. There's like a reinvention, in my opinion, going on. And that this is this is then this sort of new picture of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be spirit filled is being pushed very aggressively onto churches around the world. And so this has actually led to churches splitting. I know firsthand of several churches that have split. I actually get contacted from people um, how their church is splitting because, um, you know, I'll, I'll align this with Bethel in particular because they're they're really kind of spearhead on this uh, on this movement how they're, they're training people up to have this sort of new version of Christianity. I'm going to call it that. And then they go into churches and, and they sort of infiltrate the church and try to change it from within. And it's a radical change. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, it's less than biblical. And so that's, of course, a serious concern. Um, and so then that radical change starts happening and the congregations become more and more divided. Mm-hmm. And this is this is causing... Surprisingly enough, as much as they they will say they're about love and unity, this is causing lots of churches to have serious disunity and division. Um, that's one of the concerns. There's there's other concerns as well. I think we can maybe talk about as we go on. But basically, um, one of the things is the view of scripture and how they interpret scripture through the lens of how they view Jesus. And this can get a little complicated. But the short version is this: they have kind of a what tends to be a little bit of a distorted version of Jesus, right? It's still Jesus, okay? But it's Mm -hmm. slightly altered in in his attitude towards miracles and in the expectations we have in following Jesus. How many miracles do we expect to see? How many people do we expect to see healed? Um, You know, not only does God love us, but but a, a sort of dismissal of God's wrath and judgment or a reinterpretation of wrath as like, God's not wrathful at you. He's only wrathful at the things that destroy you or something like that, where it's all sort of man serving and not Mm -hmm. as much. God's glory is about man. Man's glory is kind of how it becomes. Um, And so then they have this version of Jesus that's that's this very loving, very kind, very gracious, no no real wrath or judgment to speak of. Um, At least that's how it comes across to me. Then they use this version of Jesus to reinterpret even scriptures in the Old Testament or in the New Testament 
that would seem to be like a counterpoint to that almost wrathless God. Um, and they say, well, no, I'm, and Bill Johnson, for instance, who, who's very much at the head of this movement, he would say, you know, I, I will never allow any scripture of the old Testament or new for that matter to, um, to, to trump what Jesus is telling me about God. Hmm. And, you know, we don't really need scripture to trump what Jesus tells us. We need to realize that scripture is never disagreeing with Jesus. Um, all that it says is true. And so it turns into this, this altered version of Christianity, which is something that's going on both in conservative and in liberal circles, that's right. sort of finding yeah. ways around just taking God's word at his word. And that's a real concern. I think there's going to be consequences for this sort of thing. Yeah, if I could jump in, that, that hermeneutic, so that way of interpreting the Bible is currently being used by all sorts of different types of camps and tribes. And it leads to radically different destinations. Uh, someone in a more liberal camp may use that. I mean, it's the same language. I'm never. I'm not going to read any Bible verse outside of exactly what Christ has revealed. And in a sense, of course, Orthodox Christianity would be say all Scripture points to to Jesus. Like there's there's a point that Christ is at the center of all things. But there's a sort of sleight of hand going on where all of a sudden, if you don't like anything anywhere in the scriptures, what you do is you just say, well, I'm going to read that through the lens of Jesus. And again, this is where it's dangerous, because of course I want to read the Bible through the lens of, of, of Jesus. But as you said, the lens of Jesus isn't going to contradict prior revelation, because we believe prior revelation was also revealed by the same God. Um, and so it, it, that's a an, an fascinating point. We're seeing that all over the landscape. So something you got you to gotta be discerning for our listeners is when you hear that language, it may not be bad, but it could be trying to get you to this place where whenever scripture says something hard that you don't like, well, that's not Jesus. And then ultimately, Jesus is then interpreted subjectively through your own personal lens, and we're back at the point where we're getting to pick and choose what scripture is is scripture. Yeah, that's that's a, that's so well put. I, I And it is blowing me away. Like, I've slowly discovered over the past couple of years um, how big of a deal this is and how prominent this weird theology is where you, you basically start with your version of Jesus. It's not really coming from scripture. Yeah. Then you use that version of Jesus to disagree with the Bible in a, in, in a seemingly pious way. Oh, well, I don't know about the book of Job, God allowing illness or sickness mm-hmm. or suffering for his glory. Um, and so like Bill Johnson responds to this because he thinks of sickness and illness are not in God's plan and not even in God's control. Yeah, I wanted to touch on that. So maybe you can jump, jump, Continue that, that yeah. line of thought. But just to finish this quick thought, um, what he says about this, about Job, is he goes, well, Job is the question. Jesus is the answer. And to him, that slogan is enough of a reason to just dismiss yeah. the doctrine that God gives us through the book of Job. Um, and that's a problem. I've heard on a, on a video clip, Bill Johnson say something along the lines of, he refuses to allow sickness in his life because the gospel says that part of the the substitutionary atonement that Jesus purchased included physical healing of physical sickness. Now, maybe you can expand on that and talk about the real um, the theological dangers that that brings up, but also the real kind of pastoral practical problems that you run into because of that. I, I imagine sometimes, as a pastor, okay, I, I deal with you know people sometimes pull pull you aside and they'll share the struggles they're going through, things they've got going on, and. So you have a bit of an insight into like, you know, normal struggles Christians have. And the 
the expectation I have is that those who are heavily involved in, in Bill's theology or in this kind of movement have a whole lot of anxieties because they, in reality, they see their, their loved ones or themselves struggling with constant chronic illness or pain or suffering. And their theology keeps telling them that all the explanations for why this is happening are on them. You know, there's some failure on their part, some lack of faith on their part, some lack of prayer, um, that there's some sort of demonic attack going on. It can't be just in God's will for God's glory, you know, for a season. Um, and, and, and so this causes a lot of anxiety and a lot of trouble and a lot of problems. And, and I do think that the leaders of this, these movements, as well as, I mean, the leadership across the board in churches like this, they're not even free to admit when they have problems for the most part, you know, and. They wouldn't say I've got a, mm. I've got a, I've got my cancer diagnosis until it gets way too late to hide it from anybody, and then yeah, because you, you just coughed, you just coughed two minutes ago, man. So what's what's the secret? <laughs> what's the secret sin in your really life, sick. bro? <laughs> I was really sick last week, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm so glad I'm not part of some movement that has to hide this, you know. Oh, I'm sick, but you know, um, I already have the victory over this, and Jesus is healing me, and and all this stuff, and. I, I just can't maintain that kind of stuff. You know, there's lots of results of telling people that God's will is always to heal you right now. And uh, so your first question, your other question about this, it's it's not biblically sound. Um, if, we if we attach the idea that God wants to heal me right now, it's the timing that I disagree with, right? It's not the healing, it's the timing. Mm -hmm. Then, and, and I say that it's a, it's, it's a right now thing. And the reason I know it's right now is because the cross purchased my healing. And so all the benefits of the cross should happen right now. That's the theology, right? That yeah. Whatever the, the cross purchased, I should have that right now. Well, then there shouldn't be death at all. Mm -hmm. Like every Christian that dies is, is, is then standing against that theology saying, well, the cross purchased my salvation from death. Mm -hmm. Like, and it purchased completely my, um, purchased me from the bondage and control of sin. So I, I should have no sin. I should have no sickness. I should have no death. Mm -hmm. I should have no influence of the enemy in, in the world at all, let alone in my life as a Christian. And yeah. when you when you look at it like this, you go, wait a minute. They're, when they just want healing, they're, they're setting the bar far too low. The cross purchased a lot more than that. But mm -hmm. they're not going to, you know, emphasize all that because it's just too easy to prove that that's not what's happening right now, both biblically and in just practical life. Taking a quick break here from our conversation with Mike um, to tell you about a few things. First and foremost, as always, uh, our partners in ministry since day one of the Regeneration Project and the podcast, uh, Western Seminary. Um, Western Seminary has been, they've been an incredible partner for us and we believe so much in the work that they're doing to equip and train and launch leaders for the local church leaders who want to make an impact in the world uh, and, and they've been doing it for a long time so they've got um, campuses all over the west coast and a really great online program if you're at all interested or thinking about or praying about um, or debating the potential of uh, further graduate education um, check out western seminary on their website at westernseminary.edu uh, we also want to let you know um, we have our next annual regeneration forum event coming up this fall 
Friday, November 8th, and then Saturday, November 9th in the Bay Area of California is our next Regeneration Forum event. And the theme is Why Believe? Why believe any of the stuff that we um, think we're supposed to believe? And uh, we're really excited to be able to share with you uh, that this year's event will feature speakers and musicians from all over the place. Um, But our main speakers will be Josh and Sean McDowell. Many of you know Josh McDowell. Um, He's the author of several best-selling, and by best-selling, I mean uber best-selling, like tens of millions of books. He's uh, widely considered one of the most important apologists um, of the 20th century. He's had global impact. And so it's going to be an honor for us to have him, along with his son, Sean McDowell, who is doing incredible work in ministry as an author and a speaker, uh, an apologist in his own right. So um, they're going to be tackling all sorts of really fascinating questions about why we should believe uh, the stuff we believe, theology, Bible, the resurrection, all sorts of different topics. So go to our website, regenerationproject.org, and you can find all the info there. Tickets are as cheap as $15. You can't beat that. Um, And there's all sorts of info. We'll we'll continue updating it with uh, different labs that we're going to do. It's uh, it's an incredible day. Uh, It always is uh, with hundreds of young people and church leaders from all over the place um, coming to learn uh, and grow together. Um, So we hope you can make it wherever you are. Uh, Go to regenerationproject.org and get all the info. And uh, now back to our conversation with Mike Winger. You know, you talked about it already a little bit from the pastoral perspective, but you mentioned earlier about how this has this really dangerous and, and harmful destructive effect of fracturing churches. Uh, and uh, I, I know we've seen that actually in our church, you know, where we've had some folks who uh, were really involved in the life of our community. And um, for one reason or another, uh, tapped into, um, in this case, it was Bethel. But like you said, there are lots of churches that have been influenced by this movement. Uh, went up to their school, you know, of supernatural uh, healing, I think, or something. It's something called that. School of Supernatural Ministry. Yeah, that's right. Supernatural Ministry. And they come back, and um, and there's this whole new wave of, if we're not experiencing this, then we're not truly living a, a life of faith and journeying with Jesus in the deepest sense. Uh, for us, we've seen it not just, I mean, it hasn't fractured our church um, so much, but you know what it has done is it's fractured relationships. So it's caused us a, a, a great amount of concern. And what we realized tracking back was, uh, and this is a part we, we want to talk about, the introduction specifically not just to Bethel, but to some other churches in this movement, for a lot of these young people in our church who tapped into this, was actually through music. Um, and that's uh, that's where maybe most of our audience, um, if they're not tracking with this conversation at large, they may not know, but like we sing a You're, lot of these songs. The churches are singing this, the hymn book. Without, straight, yeah, yeah, without quite knowing. So talk a little bit about that and, and your what you've observed of how the songs of this movement which are so incredibly prevalent and popular uh, amongst evangelical churches today are influencing, and maybe even how these songs are subtly teaching this theology and then drawing people sort of into this mode of thinking. Um, So yeah, people who've heard of Bethel music 
are are and that's all they've heard of. They're probably hearing us going like, "What are you guys talking about?" Right? Yeah, a bunch right. of haters. I, just, I mean, I thought they yeah. just were a music thing, you know. And <laughs> and it's it's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. Bethel music is not a monolithic thing where every song is like some agenda behind it. Um, but let me let me back up to set the stage for why Bethel music is something that we we don't want to overreact to at all, but we want to be aware of yep. what's going on. Let me tell you, tell your your listeners a little bit of the backstory of how this whole thing got started and what the goal of Bethel Music is, according to um, Bill Johnson and the people who are leading and have have really um, promoted and and pushed forward this whole this whole music thing. So Bill Johnson is is of course he's a pastor in Redding, California, and he's the pastor at Bethel Church in Redding, California. That's what's that's where the name Bethel we keep throwing around. That's where Bethel Music gets its name. And he wanted revival above all else. That was his big thing was to have revival. Um, now, in my opinion, in or, his version of revival, his understanding of revival was um, prophecy, uh, majorly prophecy. That's probably one of the biggest things. And healings. Um, different signs and wonders movements emphasize different kinds of things. His is emphasizing prophecy and healing. So like not tongues, not not that kind of thing. But prophecy and healing are the strong emphasis. And so what was going on, if I can be very open with you as I've evaluated this and tried to really understand it and heard stories and testimonies from people involved and stuff is that um, they started to try to create a sense that real prophecy was happening all the time and that everyone can prophesy anytime they want to. And I mean, anytime they want to literally just open your mouth and start prophesying. No leading of the spirit is necessary. You can just start prophesying. And so he started with this at a round table group with leaders in his, in his old church when he was at Weaverville before he came to Bethel, Bill, um, got in a group of people and there he is sitting around this table and he just asked them, Hey, if Jesus walked in the room, what do you think he would say to us right now? And then each person in turn says, well, I think he'd say such and such. And they kind of shared. And he says, you know what you guys just did? You just prophesied. Now in, in no, in no rational world is this what prophecy looks like, right? Like, it's not like, Isaiah shows up and says, you know, if God was here, I think he'd say this. <laughs> it's, he had a word from the Lord. This is like real prophecy, not, not just what comes out of my heart, what comes out of my head, what comes out of my hopes, and what comes out of my theology, good or bad. And I just put that on Jesus and say it's God. Um, well, this sort of thing they've refined and they've worked on. And they thought, how do we get more people to do prophecy? And so they, they'll do this with whole groups of people now. And this is something they actually, literally, they go around training groups of people to do this. Like in the School of Supernatural Ministry, they'll have, like, say, a room full of people. Maybe there's 500 people in the room. Split them into two groups. You have 250 on each side. Each person pairs up with one other. And they just, quote, give a word, something you could not know in the natural. Like, they can just make it happen, right? And so they, and, and then they tell them, don't worry if you're wrong. What does this sound like to you? Like, if... If we just take the spiritual veneer off of it for a second, we go, it's pretty obvious. This is fake. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily going to produce evil things, but it's not seemingly the method by which God is revealing truth through people. You know, this is yeah. probably not that. It ain't supernatural. So share from their heart. Yeah, it's not. It's natural, not supernatural. That yeah, that's a good way to put it. So then they train people to do this and then, but they get excited. Um, now you think, well, Matt, you guys have been in church long enough, you know, weird things are going to come out. If you just tell people, say something off the top of your head, tell us it's from God. Well, someone's going to be like, well, tomorrow you're going to die. Like someone's going to say yeah. something really freaky. And so they have rules and they add, they add artificial rules that are not in scripture. They, they pretend they're 
in the scripture, but those verses don't mean that. <laughs> and, and the artificial rules are things like you can only prophesy positive things. You can only prophesy things that are helpful, things that are encouraging. And by making it only positive things, now they don't have to worry about what people say because it's like God's going to bless you. God's going to fill you. God's going to use you mightily. God's going to change the nation through you. God's going to use your children for his glory. Like it's always positive, positive, positive. And um, interestingly enough, in the Old Testament, false prophets are the ones who would always speak positive and never negative things. That was the typical. I mean, read the book of Jeremiah. That's exactly what was going on with the false prophets. Yet in scripture, we have like Agabus in the book of Acts giving prophecy that's about a coming famine. It's bad news about Paul being taken into chains and bound. I mean, this was this is something Bethel would say, whoa, Agabus, slow down there, buddy. But yet that was actually from the Lord. And so what happens next is they, they've trained these people on how to manifest, fabricate prophecy. Then they send them into their churches and they say, this is revival. Go do this in your church. And hence the churches are having problems in splitting. Now, why does this have to do, what does this have to do with um, Bethel music? Well, Bethel music is one of the avenues through which they intend to change other churches. Um, now, every song's not like this, but some songs are, which is why they have songs that say things like, every sickness is being healed right now. That's one of their songs that you're singing. And this is meant to reinforce the theology along with prophecy. There's healing, right? They, they think, yes, all healing is, everyone's being healed right now. They have an, another system we can talk about if you guys want of how they reinforce what I would consider to be um, uh, counterfeit healing. Uh, it breaks my heart to say this because I love these yeah. people and I do think that they're sincere believers. This is not an attack against them like they're heretics, like they're you know apostate. Mm -hmm. I, I think they're sincere believers who have been misled on secondary issues and it's having bad consequences in their lives and the lives of the churches that you know they're going to. So, um, so Bill Johnson, though, just to round this up, yeah. He has said that um, their goal was in, in Bethel, Redding, in Bethel, in Redding, California, was to figure out how to engineer revival, their version of revival, which involves fake prophecy and fake healing, to be honest. Um, but tons of excitement, tons of intensity and excitement because they feel like God's working. And then after engineering it and working out the kinks to then train others to do it around the world. That's the mode Bethel's in now. The experimentation at the local churches is over. Now it's about engineering this same experience, making Bethel's all over the world. And uh, the music um, does do this. It indoctrinates in certain of the songs. Other ones don't. Other ones seem great. Some do, some don't. Yeah. But at the conferences, if you go to follow the music and go to the conferences, yeah. who are the speakers? What are they doing when they're speaking? They're training you in their version of revival which is a sub-biblical revival, unfortunately. It's an important note. There's tons and tons of good Christians in these waters, and there's tons of good Christian—I mean, depends on how you're going to define good Christian leader, but people—what I mean is that they genuinely love the Lord. So, for instance, like, Kenneth Copeland is a crook. That guy's a phony. That guy's like—I'm not like—no, that guy's—he's whack. What we're dealing with is— a lot of people who genuinely love the Lord, and uh, frankly, um, sometimes our own local churches lack a spiritual fervor and excitement, and because of that lack, they go down to a concert and feel like, man, the, we're, people are on fire for the Lord, and they're singing these songs that they love, but then all of a sudden, the more, as you're pointing out, these dangerous elements come in, and people are meaning well, but now they've adopted a worldview that says sickness 
is incompatible with my Christian theology. It's really, as you said, it's a it's an what we'd call in theological terms an overrealized eschatology, where that which is to be given you at the resurrection is given to you in the present, uh, and that's problematic for for many reasons, tons of reasons. You you brought out some, but the 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 devastation that it wreaks upon uh, someone who is who lose who's praying for their Christian mother. And they're sitting there every day, night and day, praying and fasting, trusting in Jesus, and mom still dies. Or what about the, the Christian mother who loses her third child before it's born in the womb? It's like, are, are you kidding me? And, and the, the gospel of Jesus Christ has comfort and has a message for those situations. But when you just claim that always in the present, it's only a matter of time. And this is where the big danger is. It's a matter of time between you either get out of that theological movement or you lose your faith. It's not sustainable long-term. Um, and we see the, the havoc that it wreaks, wreaks upon uh, young Christians. Yeah, I think that that's a very real thing. I think that people who are like me and perhaps like you would, would, would succumb to all manner of doubt because the reality does not reflect the theology um, but the good news is the theology does not reflect the scripture. And so we can, we can say, no, no, this theology, God's bigger than has to heal me every time he's sovereign. He has a wonderful plan and it involves even my hardships bringing out his glory. I mean, how much the new Testament is encouraging us that suffering yeah. has a purpose in the character and life of a Christian mm-hmm. beyond God being glorified by healing it. And this is beautiful news. This is one, this is a salve upon the trials of my life that I can trust that all things do work together for good. There's a book by Viktor Frankl, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. And he, you know, Viktor Frankl's psychologist, really famous, like not a Christian, he was Jewish. Um, but he went through, um, the Holocaust, you know, he was in one of the camps and he writes this little book and he talks about how suffering, he gives this incredible weight to suffering, how, you know, pain, uh, when it's given meaning, uh, it, it, it infuses humans with a whole new mm-hmm. depth and layer um, that's formative in ways that nothing else is. And I, it, that's, you're reminding me of that. I mean, he, you know, Frankel, I think, is tapping into mm-hmm. what is true because God has created it to be true in human experience. And that's what the thinness of this theology, uh, I like the term you use, sub-biblical theology, the thinness of it, that veneer yeah. goes away um, when when we live with a sort of refusal to, uh, in reality, engage the long, sort of often difficult road of um, God forming us and transforming us into the people he's called us to be. Yeah, because in the New Testament, it doesn't seem to only be the case that Okay, Christ has conquered Satan, sin, and death, but in the present you'll still have sufferings, like it's like it's neutral. The New Testament speaks as if suffering is part of the means and mechanism by which God is right, bringing about process. His kingdom and His glory. Yeah. So it's not even that oh we still have to put up with this for a while. It's a part of the process. Uh, Christ, for the joy set before Him, endures the cross. Um, and when Christians aren't taught that, when suffering hits them, all of a sudden, to your point, it's meaningless. And suffering is hell without meaning. 
but the biblical teaching is that it does have meaning. God doesn't waste that for his children. Mike, maybe uh and this may not be a, an easy question, but since the music is like a it's a gateway, um do you have strong opinions where it's like churches shouldn't even be playing this or they should just be careful on which ones they play? Um or it's hey, this is play it all. It's all really good music. Just don't let your people take the next step. Like what's some real practical advice for cuz we we have a lot of people who are worship leaders listening. And they're playing these songs. And, you know, here we are, we just said, you know, this is this is the background behind them. What's your practical advice for worship leaders in this world? That's a toughie. Um, so <clears throat> when I say that Bethel music's not monolithic, I mean, like, I think at this point they've signed so many different worship leaders that they have people who aren't even part of their theology, who don't even believe their theology, who are producing music under the label Bethel Music. And so it's it's like well if we're going to throw out all of the Bethel music, you're you're going to throw out some great music, mm-hmm. you know, and you're going to throw out some questionable stuff as well. Um, so I think we have options. I think that one is I can just do what every worship leader ought to do, which is every single song goes through a theological filter before I put yep. it before the congregation. Yep. Every single song, like if you're a worship leader, you better be a theologian because you're doing theology when you do worship. Mm. You know, when I sing this song to God, I'm singing about who God is who I am and the truths of the gospel and how that relates to life. You know, like that's a huge deal. This is a, a big deal. We, you know, we we learn our theology sometimes from the music as much as we do from the Bible studies. Yep. And so, it, so yeah, every song needs to go through a filter. That's, that's an absolute rule for every worship leader. And sometimes you look back and you're like, I've been singing this song for 10 years. I just realized it's got a serious issue. Mm. Take it out of your song list. Like, just, you know, have yeah. the guts. And that's but, every uh, song. That's like the yeah, old absolutely. hymns and the Bethel songs. Yeah. What what you're saying, though, what I'm hearing you say is that when it comes to th- the theology of our worship so- songs, one should not be reckless in their decision making. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yes. I see what you I think, did there. I think uh, reckless uh, theology in our worship is is a very bad idea. And it's a bad actually, idea. Actually, I have a video right? online about the song reckless, so that's fine. Go watch the video. It's good. Yeah. And it's 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 meant to be a fair analysis of of the of the song. And you know, when you have songs that seem questionable and maybe you as maybe some worship leaders are more artsy and less logical, um and just to be straight about it, yeah. right? Um and the the mistake they make is in thinking that because they're artsy, everyone is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you have a song that has logical issues, yet it's artistically beautiful and wonderful and feels great, and you put it in front of 500 people, you know, 30% of them are not going to be okay. And you have not blessed your people. And now they're debating it. And now they're disagreeing with one another. You're creating division by using a song that you should have just ignored. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be one concern. You know, it's it's just not healthy for the body of Christ to try to force everyone to be your version of artsy. Um, it should be that we we vet our songs well enough that hopefully um, no one has a legitimate complaint about the song. That's the idea. And uh, and so with Bethel, um, I think that I, I I wouldn't want my congregation going to the conferences because I know that that's meant to be indoctrination into their particular. Um, social engineering of the church. Um, I I don't want them, uh, you know, just listening to all of their stuff because it's a mixed bag. But I'm not going to personally 
even take a position on, you know, don't even have a single song that has the label Bethel on it mm-hmm. because I don't see it as a monolithic thing. Yeah. Now, others would say I'm being way too, you know, I, I need to throw out the whole thing. And then I say, well, maybe you need to throw out the whole thing. But let's let each church evaluate this and consider it and each worship leader really prayerfully, thoughtfully yep. handle it, you know, according to their scenario and their situation and not try to force everyone to make the same exact discerning decisions, you know. We highly recommend uh, all of your videos. Um, they are great. Um, the best introduction probably to to this issues, if you want to go deeper, is the video. Um, and you can just search Mike Winger, uh, Bill Johnson, Bethel. It'll come up. But where can they find you? What's the exact handle? If, is there any places, other places you are at that you want to let people know? We want to we wanna, um, pump what you're doing up, man. Oh, well, thank you very much. Um, so on YouTube, it's just my name, Mike Winger, like, like W-I-N-G-E-R. That's just my real name. And that's just <laughs> up on YouTube. You could just type my name. It'll my my channel will pop right up. I'm also on a podcast. Um, and I think the podcast title is Bible Thinker. Um, and also there's BibleThinker.org. That's the website. And um, and we're maybe developing a, an app, a phone app in the future. And it's all just meant to get the teaching out for free. That's the goal. I want all the teaching to be available for free to people to build up the body, encourage and strengthen believers and see non-believers come to the Lord. You know, that's the goal. So I, I hope that it's that it's helpful. We really appreciate not just the clarity that you bring. I mean, that's that is the word I think I would use to describe um, the effect of your work, which is so incredibly helpful and necessary. Uh, but we also so greatly appreciate um, your tone and your posture. There's a warmth about you. I mean, you're so strong in in achieving the clarity that is so necessary, but there's also, you do it with such a warmth and a grace, and, and that's been evident even in this conversation. Uh, we need more voices like you. So thank you so much for doing what you do. It's having an incredible impact um, for us and for the people that we serve and for um, so many people out there. So, uh, yeah, we appreciate you. Thank you for your ministry and your work. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. It's so encouraging.